Isn't God good? All the time. Yeah. There are times when we, uh, we may not recognize it, but he is. I want to share something I shared with our worship team that came to mind. And <clears throat> Ramona, you may need to help me with uh, some of the people in this incident. <clears throat> but there was a time in the life of Israel where the enemies came together against Israel and against Jerusalem. And I forget if it was King Jeroboam or Hezekiah or one of those ones uh, was fearful. And, and God spoke through his prophet and said, do not be afraid of the noise out there of the enemy, for the battle isn't yours, but's mine. Go out tomorrow and face the enemy and see the glory of God. And so they assembled the army of Israel. And they opened the gates and they went out. And the point men, the ones at the front of the army, were the singers. <laughs> the singers. You would think it would be the preachers, you know, or the deacons, the elders, or whatever those mighty people are that God raises up. Uh, but it was the singers. <laughs> And the scriptures say that as praise rose to heaven, God came upon the enemy and they turned on one another and, 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 and killed one another. And when they got to where they could see the enemy, the army of Israel saw them laying dead. And it took a couple days, if not several days, to gather the spoil from that particular battle. I am so grateful that God has given us the opportunity to come together weekly and to praise him and to get together with one another in between and praise him through our conversation of what God's doing in our lives. Or maybe even sharing what, what need we have for God to work in, in our lives. I'm grateful for our uh, worship team. Uh, I often wondered how we'd do without Rachel, and now and then we have been without her there. Uh, but folks, you guys do good. And, uh, and, and our young men on these guitars, aren't they great? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and they may be proud of what they do, but I tell you what, I, I, from just the times that I've had to interact with them, they're so grateful that God's given them the opportunity to serve him in this way. And, uh, and all the opportunities that God gives to serve within his church. I, I spoke to Scott earlier. I am so grateful that, uh, that God has brought him about to be our, our deacon. And we want to be in prayer. He needs another one alongside to help. And, and eventually, because of the numbers that God's bringing in, I think we're going to need... More than, more than two. Uh, and the things that he does in the spiritual realm, Scott, are awesome. But I'm so glad <laughs> that he knew how to fix that pump yesterday to find the problem. And when he told me that uh, that pump goes down 250 feet, that means that they had 250 feet of, of tubing as well as wire to 
pull up out of the ground. I mean, they'd have to wrap it around the church to, uh, to get it all up so they could get to that little thing on the bottom that pumps all that water uh, in here for us. The worship that we experienced this morning is preparing us for the week. And the victory is ours. There are times when we try to fight God's battles. And there are times when we need to stand and, and, to, and to fight. But I want you to hear this morning, in that intimate time with him, for God to say, don't fear the enemy, for the battle is not yours, it's mine. And the truth is, the truth is, the battle was already won. We were uh, studying Revelation, and uh, Bill does such a good job of leading us through what sometimes seems like a mess, but it's not a mess, is it, Ramona? I mean, it's, it's, it's good. And the bottom line is, the more that we know about revelations, the more we realize that we don't know it about revelation. And it's that way with God. But, but, but in there, it talked about that battle that was already won. And we wonder why the devil continues to do what he does. It's because he's, he's defeated and... Have you run into a person that's going down and they want to take as many people with them as they can? The thing of it is, he can't take us down. He can make us look like we're powerless. He may get us to believe a lie that keeps us ineffective. But the truth is, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave his life for us. I want us to look this morning at a passage that... uh, that I relate to a lot. And it's found in John chapter uh, 21. And don't get scared that it says verses 1 through 22, because we're just going to sort of glance uh, through them. Um, But I want to try to put it in context of where we're at as individuals, but also where we're at as a church. And also in the context of uh, a couple weeks ago when uh, God gave me the opportunity to lead us through uh, the 23rd Psalm. What is the 23rd Psalm about? Relationship. I like what Bill tells us a lot. It's not about you, it's about him. But what it is about him is his relationship with us. We currently are going through a period of transition. And that isn't always a pleasant one, whatever it is. I mean, there can be a joyous part. Can you remember those of you that have at least a child, that first one? And then following that birth, there was transition. And that transition not only impacted you and and the child, but but you and everybody else, Uh, close friends, You may not have been able to give the time that you once had. Husband and wife, kids interfere with that, but it is a glorious interference. Um, Our church is going through a transition, and it's been over a year, Bill, since our pastor, well over a year since he announced that he was resigning and God was calling him to start a church down in Florida. 
and I think it was somewhere in early July uh, that, uh, that they left. And uh, I praise God for Facebook. We can still see what they're doing and what's going on uh, uh, down there. But it's a transition for us. The disciples were going through a transition. I didn't see it at first as I, as I was looking at this passage and God was just showing me some things to share this morning. But a tremendous transition. The shepherd that they had known for over three years, the one who had led them and taught them and, and saw them through some terrifying times as well as some glorious times, some terrifying times on the sea, when he came walking to them, not just because of the waves, but there was somebody out there on the sea, and how can that be? They were, many of them were fishermen. Um, but he, 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 was, he was the rock. He was the one that was sleeping in the ship when the storm came up, and he just spoke in it, calmed down. And they saw some very cruel people, some people that Jesus at one time called whitewashed sepulchers. <laughs> you know, they were dead people or places for the, you know, for the dead. Take and, and put to death their leader, their shepherd. But remember, God says that he will not leave us. One translation says, will not leave us as orphans. Uh, but he will send another shepherd. And that, that word that says another one, <clears throat> or another comforter, counselor, uh, you know, one to come alongside us, um, would be one of the same kind, but different. Jesus had a powerful impact in the flesh. But he knew the disciples initially just could not conceive the impact that he would have uh, in the spirit. Not only to be amongst them, but to be with within him. And, and that's where we're at. There may be times where we feel like God is not close to us, but I want to tell you that, that he dwells within us. And God wants to see us through that time of transition. Do we do it smoothly? Peter didn't, but Peter wasn't the only one. We, we look at Peter because he was the one that publicly denied Jesus three different times. Uh, Thomas didn't do too good, but none of the disciples did. I mean, when we find them in the book of Acts... Even after this experience along the sea, when there was only seven of them there, <clears throat> but <clears throat> they were, I don't want to use the term because I'm assuming some things, but sort of cowarding, you know, uh, and Jesus comes to them. And then after his ascension in the book of Acts, um, they're waiting for what Jesus said would happen. And I have a feeling they had no idea what that was. But they learned right away. When the Spirit of God came upon them, 
and uh, and he brought to mind the things that he had taught them through his Holy Spirit. I want to look at several things. Don't be frightened if you're looking at this thing. That there's six. We're going to go through them real quick. My fact number four is where we'll linger a little bit. But but I want us to see some things. One is. <clears throat> That when God approaches us during that time of transition, especially if we've messed up. Have you ever messed up? If you say you haven't messed up, yeah, you're a liar, okay? Have you messed up royal? I pray none of us have at the, at the point that David did. And I don't mean as a lawyer. Because God can give us peace with that. But, uh, but he took the life of someone for his own personal, emotional, and other kind of gain. Yet God restored fellowship with him. Paul. I don't know if Paul ever picked up a stone and threw it, but he was responsible for incarceration and even death of people of the early New Testament church. Yet God restored relationship with, didn't restore it, he brought him into relationship with himself. Uh, Peter messed up. Jesus told him he would, didn't he? But when Jesus comes to restore him, notice first, he, he makes the first move of restoration of fellowship. If things aren't what they should be or what they have been, uh, they will be. We all go through periods. Paul spoke once, he says, I have come... To, uh, to understand that whatever circumstance I'm in, there too to be consent, con content. And then he goes and he says, "There's, you know, I've, I've learned to be without, I've learned to be with a lot. And we think of that many times as financial because he had those times where he didn't have anything and he had other times where he was preaching the gospel and he was having to work to support himself and others that had need about him. Uh, <clears throat> but I think he was also speaking of those spiritual condition, that there are times when we hit those glorious times, and then there's times when we hit those not-so-glorious times, and yet we find that the lower these get, it seems the higher that God allows us to get in this point. But he is the one that initiates that contact. Notice in verse 4, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. In verse 9 it says, and when they, <clears throat> when they landed, the disciples, they saw a fire burning uh, of coals where the fish, with fish on it and some bread. And then Jesus said, come and have something to eat. Come and have a bite of breakfast. Peter, I'm sure, felt like a failure because of his denying of the Lord. All seven of those guys, professional fishermen, 
professional fishermen. And Ramona, they weren't fly fishermen. They may have done better had they were, okay? But they used nets. Um, and they had fished all night and hadn't caught a thing. Jesus approached him, and he wasn't mad at them. I would even say he wasn't disappointed. I mean, how could he be disappointed when he knew that they were going to mess up? Folks, our messing up never surprises God. Now, don't hear that as an open door to go out and mess up, because God doesn't want us to mess up. But I want you to know that if the adversary with his deceit and his lies can get us hooked in a lie that God isn't disappointed with us because he sees us as great value and our worth and knows that we can overcome that if we simply continue to allow the truth of God into our mind. Have you ever had a passage of scripture that you've uh, read umpteen times? I mean, many, many times. I don't know where that word came from, umpteen, but it means a lot. And I remember God uh, showing me a passage that I had read many times, and it was Jesus' ascension, and uh, where he said, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. And, uh, and he was showing me this word, therefore, and... Uh, and would always put in my mind, why is it therefore? Wherefore the therefore? Why is it there? What is he referring to when he says, therefore go? And if you look back a couple of verses, you find it, and it is a jewel. Because Jesus said, all authority is given unto me, both in heaven and earth. And we're finding out that the heavens are bigger than we ever thought it was. But it was all his. It was his authority. Our adversary has zilch when it comes to authority. Now, many times he acts like he has all the authority in the world. But, you know, he has a lot of ways that he attacks us. But the main one is a lie. And if he can get us believing something that isn't true, and sometimes it can be the simplest thing, and we're not talking just about, well, we are talking about spiritual truths when it comes to our person. But when he <clears throat> convinces us that we can't do this or we can't do that, or that is beyond our reach, and I'm not talking about wealth and glory and all of that. I'm talking about the great commission of going and making disciples, and we say, I, I can't do that. I can't pray in public. I don't want you to know that praying in public isn't such a great thing. I remember a church, Rocky Springs Baptist Church, just north of Yazoo City, Mississippi. Ten miles north of Yazoo City was uh, the community of Eden. And west of Eden, excuse me, east of Eden, was Rocky Springs uh, Baptist Church. And they needed a deacon. And two of the sort of leaders within the church said, uh, well, brother so-and-so might be a good candidate for deacon because he prays in public. And I thought to myself, all that I've read in Timothy and those other places, oh, Mickey, doesn't say anything about having to pray in public. 
I'm grateful that there are people that God allows to to give us a glimpse of their relationship with the Lord. Jesus did that even in the garden. Now, he went away, but there were some of them that were there, so they knew the agony he was going through, and, and they even record some of his prayers, and, and I'm grateful for that. But, but God has greater things than that. Matter of fact, he says that greater things than these you will do because I go to the Father, and if I go to the Father, I will send another. I can't imagine doing greater things than Jesus. And yet I've seen the impact of his church greater. And I believe even the impact of this one. He's not mad at us. He wants to encourage us in small ways. Um, I've read some commentators with this passage when Peter said, I'm going fishing, and the other said, I'm going to go with you that it was a decision to forsake the mission that Jesus had given them and going back to the thing they knew what to do that would provide food for them and for their families. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't like some of the men of the church come and say, uh, hey, preacher, you want to go fishing? And I found out that meant, because I'm a Yankee, and, but that meant is, let's go find a nice, quiet spot uh, where we can take a nap after you take this cane pole with a little bit of line on it and a bobber and, and a catabwa, catabwa worm. Never heard of the thing. It was, a, it was a worm that came on the catabwa trees. And I'm not even sure, what is it? Catabwa? Okay. But it was a rugged little thing. Matter of fact, you could catch a couple fish on the same worm because they'd grab a hold of it and it wouldn't break up. And you would just sit there and, and you could sort of chat softly with one another and all of a sudden you see that, you know, bobber go up and down. It, it wasn't that kind of fishing that they were, were doing. It was part of their livelihood. And, uh, and Jesus said, uh, have you caught any fish? Have you ever had him speak to you that way? about the thing that, that you're good at. Have you had success today? And, uh, and then he uh, tells them to come on shore, and they see this fire going with uh, fish on it. So he, he provided for them. He didn't have, but before he did, he said, I want you to take, and I want you to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And, and I'm sure... If they had the vernacular that we did today, they would have probably said, duh, you know. <laughs> We've already done that. I don't know what God may ask us as a church to do, but it may be some stuff that we've done before and have not seen success. But we need to listen to him, because if he tells us to do it, and it may be something very simple, as he did with the fishermen. Don't fish on this side. You need to fish on that side. And they probably said, well, we've fished on both sides and we haven't caught anything. But the result was very encouraging. In the, mid, uh, in the mid-70s, while I was in seminary, I pastored Frankfurt Avenue Baptist Church. If any of you are familiar with Philadelphia, uh, Frankfurt Avenue is 
Um, oh, can't even think of the other street now. Uh, there's an elevated railway that goes up to the part of, of Philadelphia called Frankfurt, but Frankfurt Avenue was east of there. And, uh, and I had some experiences there, but one of them was with a young girl called Louise. She wasn't called Louise, she was called Ouija, or Ouija. And I found out that she got that name because uh, she had an older sister and she had a younger sister It was like um, preschooler. And when she was learning to talk, she couldn't say Louise. It came out Ouija. And so everybody started calling her Ouija or Ouija. Nancy, I meant to talk to you so that I could use the word they use today. I think it's called intellectually disabled. But back then it was called retarded. And I'm glad we've got away from that word. But she and her older sister were both diagnosed as that in school. And her older sister was diagnosed as intellectually disabled, trainable. Ouija was intellectually disabled, educable. They realized that she could uh, learn. Ouija came to me, or Louise, came to me one day and said, Pastor, I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want to do that. And I remember thinking to myself, because uh, what I saw of her mentally didn't seem, I was wondering if she could even understand that concept. Now remember, I, I hadn't finished seminary yet. Not that seminary does a whole lot of things, but I was early in the, you know, the ministry, and, and God hadn't made me aware of all the things that he can do. And, and he can help anyone that wants him to come to the point of faith. But at that time, I felt in order to come to faith, you had to understand this and understand that and understand that. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's faith. But anyway, as I took time to listen to Louise, I found out that Louise was a bright little girl and had tremendous uh, ability to learn and had learned a whole lot more stuff than, uh, than what people thought. Matter of fact, she was in special ed, you know, and so she wasn't exposed with as much information as some students might, might get. Louise had a cleft palate uh, with a very, very uh, speech impediment. I mean, you had to really take time to listen to her to understand what she's saying, but if you did, it was amazing. And God showed me to take time with Louise, and when I did, you talk about encouragement, and you talk about confidence that this young girl had. And I said to her, I said, um, I knew her name was Louise. I said, uh, what would you like to be called, Weege or Louise? And she said, Louise. And so from that point on, she was Louise. God gets us even when others don't. As individuals and as a church, 
I, I'm really excited about Living Legacy for a couple of reasons. Before Living Legacy came to worship in this facility, there was uh, First Baptist Church Hershey. Started out in the basement of the library. I don't know if it had a place in between, but then they had a house over behind the Dairy Queen in that area, and they were in that for years. And uh, and they began to grow, and they outgrew that house, and they 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 were able to purchase this property and and build this facility, and and the church grew. I mean, grew to where they would have 150 or better on a Sunday morning in this place. And then there became a division within the church. And you know what it was over? Because the enemy knows where to attack us. It was worship. Those staunch traditional Baptists, and I love them, uh, they didn't want to change. The pastor that they called at that time saw the change that was needed but went about it the wrong way. He just stood up there one Sunday morning and said, starting next week we're going to have contemporary worship. And, uh, and within a couple of weeks he was, he was gone. And a lot of the younger ones of the church were gone with it. And, uh, and I became a part of it for oh, 10 to 13 years. And we would reach out, and we would see young families come in, but they wouldn't stay. And we got to the point to where financially we could continue as it was. But we knew we weren't doing what God wanted done. And, uh, and there were times when some of the people resented living legacy because they were getting help from the state, you know, and said, well, why doesn't the state help us, you know, and, and in my heart, I, I, I heard God saying, <laughs> because you don't need, you have all the help in the world. It's a matter of you just loving the Lord and doing what he has commanded us to do. And, uh, and so we approached Larry as a church, and some wanted to negotiate. And I'm saying, folks, you don't negotiate with God. You know, I... You're talking like this church, this congregation, and this facility is yours. But it's not. God has provided it and is his. And I, and I, I appreciated Larry very much because when he came and some were saying that they wanted this and this and this, and Larry said, listen, I appreciate the offer of this facility. But uh, God has given us a mission. We know what that mission is. And we're not going to change it just to get a facility. And, uh, and praise God, uh, we heard what he was saying and said, it's yours. And now it's ours. <laughs> and we have seen people leave. Uh, and I pray we see, see them come back. But it may be that God has other things for them. But so often we say, well, you know, that division and that conflict happened 
that God might start a work out here and start a work out there. I want you to know that's not the way God starts churches. In the South, that's how they sort of justified, you know, churches dividing over things such as whether or not you should wear a hat in church. I, I, there's actually a group called No Hats Baptist down in the southeast corner of Virginia. Yeah, Ramona. I'm sure there were some in, in southern Illinois, and there's plenty of them in Pennsylvania prior to Southern Baptist coming, but, uh, but we even have that kind of conflict with Southern Baptist. So let's, let's not let the enemy steal from us. Jesus made a point of speaking to uh, Peter um, because he wanted to talk about Peter's heart. He didn't want to talk about Peter's history. He wanted to talk about his heart. And the question that he brought is sort of one of those like, Lord, what does that have to do with it? He said, Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? The, the NIV puts it, do you truly love me? And I was checking all over to see others, and most other translations just say, do you love me more than these? But, but I like, what, I like what, what the NIV said. Do you truly love me more than these? And there's been a lot of uh, theories that he meant more than these fish or more than these boats or fishing and disciples and all. But, but I, I, I like one because that's what God's been saying to me. He wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about Peter's heart. And there was a time when Peter said, I don't want to say he said it boastfully, but I mean sincerely, Lord, though, though all of the disciples get offended by you and desert you, I won't. I love you more than the rest of these. I'll stick with you. Jesus said, Peter, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but I want you to know that you won't deny me once or twice, but three times before tomorrow morning. And I'm sure Peter's saying, Lord, I know what you're talking about. I'm willing to give my life for you. And that was the kind of person that... Uh, that Peter was, and a personality. Now, how many would like to have that kind of personality? You'd stand and fight, and, and I'm glad that God has some people that do that. But he needs others that are a little more subtle than, uh, than Peter. And so he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, uh, yes, Lord, I, uh, I love you. Um, and he says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. It's that word for shepherd. Shepherd my sheep. The Lord is our shepherd, but he also gives people responsibility of shepherding 
his sheep. And folks, listen. We all have that kind of responsibility in, in groups that we're about, whether it's within our family or within our community or at our school with a, a group of friends. We have those kinds of res responsibilities. It's not to take anything away from quote-unquote pastors that are our, uh, our shepherds. But Jesus, but Jesus was telling Peter, I have a job for you and I want you to do the work. And then it says, Jesus asked him the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, well, it says that Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Now, you've probably heard this before, but but I think it's important. Two words for love that were used in here. One was agape. Jesus said, do you truly love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And Peter was using the word phileo, and Jesus was using the word agape. And we don't want to put too much in that because they were interchangeable. But when we got down to the third time, Jesus was making a point because Peter was expressing his love for him, knowing that he had denied him three different times, and the third time, let, let, let me put it in my vernacular. Peter, do you love me as a brother? Jesus was using agape, but the third time he used the same word that Peter, he, he, he was questioning Peter's love, and I like his response, because I've been there. Have you been there before? where our behavior and our action is anything but Christ-like. That we do some things, sometimes it's, it's a word. Sometimes it's an action, and sometimes it's a horrendous action. And we'd have to say, Lord, I know my action does not express that I love you. Because Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Obey my commandments. Obey what I've told you. Do what I have led you and directed you and mentored, mentored you to, to do. Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. Though it did not express my love for you when I denied you those three times, you know that I love you. And there's times when... <clears throat> When something has happened, <clears throat> or I have done something, and, uh, and I'd even say to myself, Ron, that's not you. Why did you ever do anything like that? And I would say, Lord, you know that's not me. You know all things you know that I love you. And Jesus said, uh, Feed my sheep. Do your job. Do the job I've called you to do. And I don't know. I see some, some gifts that God calls us to do. We may not think it's sharing the gospel sometimes, but the things that we do, those of you that help fix the water pump, Thank you. We could not have the worship in the time of study today uh, without what you did yesterday. 
And I know that it was God's grace that brought that all about. Others that touched my heart. Matter of fact, I, I, talk, I talked to a neighbor who happened to be a nurse. And I said to her, I said, you know, if you weren't a nurse, you could probably be a, a pastor. Now, as a Baptist, we know that isn't true. But what I'm saying is that uh, that spiritual gift that she has fits for that, or even a police officer. Ramona, could you ever see yourself as a police officer? <laughs> but I think you could do it well. And to some extent, raising uh, the kids that you did, well, we're called upon to be that, okay? It's important that we recognize those gifts that God has given us and the way that he can, can use them. They can impact the kingdom of God more than the guy that stands up here and preaches. And we have, a, we have a, an awesome responsibility of, of bringing the word of God, you know, to us. The heart is the true source of failure. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in his history. He knew what he did. But he knew where the source of that was. And it was in his heart. And it was in, this may sound simple, but I pose the question to you. Do you love Jesus more than these, whatever these may be? Listen, our love for Jesus opens our heart to, to recognize his love for us. And if you want to boost in confidence and you want to boost in ability and, and you want to, to be able to, to worship him in, in mind and truth, then open yourself to his love and express the love that you have for him. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus, speaking about those whose heart wasn't with him, says, uh, Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. A man produces good things from his storehouse or storeroom of good, and an evil man produces things from his storehouse of, of evil. Um, Our adversary can take that and say, you said something evil, therefore you're evil. Can a righteous heart speak an evil word? Yes. Can an unrighteous heart speak a righteous word? Yes. We, we must be in touch with our heart. And Jesus was with, uh, <clears throat> with Peter. Look with me again at Romans 8. And if you're around me much, you're going you're to go to Romans 8. But Romans 8, verses 5 through 9 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. For to set <clears throat> the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit of life is peace. 
excuse me, is life. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Listen to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Listen, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. In the Greek language, they have what they call a conditional clause, and this is one. And it's usually shown by the word if, but there can be some others too. And when you see that if, we so assume doubt. But Paul wasn't speaking doubt here. Matter of fact, in the uh, Holman Christian translation, uh, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Don't let the devil convince you that you're not the Lord's, okay? Faith is one of those things that you can see in a person's life, but it's more than just this, 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 and this. I like it, like the, and I may have used this illustration before, but a young child, a little over preschool age, um, came to her pastor to express that she had trusted Jesus as her Savior, and he said, well, how do you know that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior? And she looked at him and said, well, pastor, I know it in my knower. You know, like, pastor, you know, I, I know it in my knower. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And we have an adversary that would like to turn that if into question. But Paul was saying, since the conditional clause is, it can mean if which is true, if which is not true, if which is probably true, if which is probably not true. That's the fourth class conditional. And and I remember speaking to Dr. Stevens, who was teaching us this in Greek, saying, Doctor, how, how do you know which if it is? And he gave that response that I don't always like. He said, Ron, it's in the context. Paul was talking to Christians, and he was teaching them, Mickey, he was teaching them theology. And he wanted them to get it right. And he said, the word is translated if, but he was saying since. The Spirit of God is in you. You, you, are, you are His. I've put it this way, and please listen to God, not just to me. All that Christ is, He is in you and I. Now hear me, I'm not saying we're Christ and we're not. But his spirit is joined with our spirit, and we are one spirit in Christ Jesus. And we have not only the ability, but the nature to do everything that he did. And if Jesus wasn't lying, and Jesus didn't lie, he says we'll do things even greater than what he did. Because he dwells within us. 
because he goes to the Father. I am so grateful that he rose from the grave. Grave, but we were more depend. We were very dependent on his resurrection, but we're even more dependent on his ascension as a church. Because had he not ascended to heaven, he would have. If he had stayed in bed, the Messiah earthly, he'd have never impacted the world as he did through the church once the Spirit came upon them. And 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 we'll see in the life of Peter that he did just what God told him to do. Now those. <clears throat> The devil tried to get Peter distracted. And uh, Alan, if you see uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 8a, read it sometime this week, because that tells us what dwells within us. The love of God. And, uh, and it's very many-faceted. But he does not call us to ensure the spiritual success of others. All of the disciples knew the one that Jesus loved. Matter of fact, the one that Jesus loved was the one that was giving us this account of what was going on. Peter was restored in his fellowship with Jesus. And he recognized how much he loved Jesus and, and therefore how much Jesus loved him. And his first question was, was well, what about him? I mean, you have this tremendous love for him. I never realized that you had that love for me. And Jesus' response was, that's really none of your business. You're not responsible for the spiritual responsibilities of someone else. There are times that we can get so caught up in what someone else isn't doing that we don't do it. Now, my wife is that way. I, I think she has that spiritual gift of prophecy, and we think of that so much as uh, preachers, but a prophet. And there may be some of that, Ramona, in you, but, I, but, but mercy's there more than anything else. A prophet was a person that had a keen sense of right and wrong and a zeal to correct it when they saw wrong happening. You know, and that's my wife. And there was times I said, you know, I need to go do this. Well, that's so-and-so's responsibility. And we have to be careful that we don't cover up for someone else. But when it came to worship and when it came to the activities on, on Sunday, God gives us all responsibilities to see that things are done. And that, that the building is clean, that the grass is mowed. I read an article once that said that the appearance of your building says tremendous amount to the people in the neighborhood or the people that might consider coming there. Because if it's unkept, they really don't have a desire to be part of unkept. Did you grow up in a dysfunctional home? I didn't. I, I, I'm grateful for that. But I know some people that have, and my wife is one of them, and she don't want to be any part of that. We're not defunctional. And, and I tell you, living legacy is by far not. I'll grant you, we may have some things, and I'm not aware. You know, I live 30 minutes away. Uh, there's things that happens here within <clears throat> the fellowship, even when I'm being a part of it, that I, I, I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know that that, that went, went on. 
But I want you to know <clears throat> that living legacy is healthy. And just because we're without a pastor right now doesn't mean that we're not healthy and that, <clears throat> that God isn't still working. Matter of fact, some of you that sit here today don't even know the previous pastor. But God has led you here, sometimes through contact, sometimes just because God led you here. But many times because of the relationship with people of living legacy, He is simply calling us to follow him. Now you may say, well, what does that mean, Ron? What does it mean to follow him? You know what it means. I, I may look at your life and see certain things and say, well, that means that you should do this and this and pursue this and this. But we know. Huh, Alex? I know. They only have 7% support or whatever that number is. Uh, and I'm sure the adversary there is saying, see, there's a lot of people who don't believe what you believe about what God wants you to do and where he wants you to go. Because if they did, you'd have the support you need. But there are times when God delays things so that <clears throat> we will be confronted with the things we need to get dealt with so that when things come together, we're on the track and full steam ahead. God is good. Amen? And I pray that whatever encouragement, whatever confrontation that you needed today, that you've received it. The battle is his, not ours. Let's go out this week and and reap the spoils of the victory that God has given us, a living legacy. Let's pray, God.